takes the time to stop and smell the roses We're too busy walking around Living our lives But by making the world a more beautiful place, Artemis publishes artists and writers from the Appalachian region of the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia and beyond. This is the time when we need to write and make art for the sake of healing our souls and enriching our communities. Welcome to Artemis Speaks. Welcome to Artemis Speaks. I'm Jerry Rogers, and I'm in the studio with Skip Brown, my co-producer, Final Track Studio, and he makes the magic happen. I want to welcome our guest today is Donna Pacino. Donna is a sculptor and potter living in the mountains of Southwest Virginia, here in the Blue Ridge Mountains, as I like to refer to it. She will be featured as our 2021 Artemis cover artist, and we are thrilled to have her on the cover. Her work is amazing, and she has such a big following. Uh, we're going to get into it, what her background is. She moved up to Floyd many years ago with her very talented potter husband, Rick Hensley, and they started this amazing following of other ceramic artists that started moving up to the mountains. She was the pioneer, and she's been a big draw, and we all love the fact that she's up there. She graduated from the Rhode Island School of Design and has been honored in two NEA Artist Fellowships and a Virginia Museum Artist Grant. She has shown her work in major exhibitions and museums, galleries, nationally and internationally. Her work has been published in many books and magazines, and she teaches seminars throughout the country, many schools, Penland School, Haystack School, Anderson Ranch, and in China and Italy as well. She lives and works part-time in a small village in Italy, but when she's not there, hopefully she's back in Virginia, where she teaches, had been teaching. She just retired from Holland University for 15 years, she created and still directs the Women Working with Clay Symposium. And we are so excited to have you here, Donna, and share your story. You have quite a story, and uh, our our community will be very interested to hear from you. And I did the spoiler, and I announced that you are a cover artist. It's usually a big surprise. So those <laughs> that are listening get to have an insight into who you are. You have an amazing life story. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Jerry. Happy to be here. Well, we're thrilled to have you here. So let's get into it. How did you decide to become a ceramic artist, and when did this happen? I always thought I wanted to be an artist because my father was a painter, and I spent a lot of time in my childhood in his studio. He worked at home and he made a living as an artist, which was unusual in the fifties. And of the four children, I was the one who was somehow the most fascinated by that. And 
So I always thought, saw myself that way. And I drew and I painted and he encouraged me. And um, I went to art school in 1968. And I thought I would be a painter or a you know, printer drawing something two-dimensional. Um, but then the late 60s swept me up and I really thought I was going to drop out of college and go and, and um, live on a commune or something of the like. But I happened to go to a slideshow of ceramics by the ceramics professor. I don't know why I ended up there. It was sort of a miracle, but I ended up there. I saw this work of all contemporary, but mostly historical ceramics. And it just literally, you know, just blew my mind. And I thought, I've got to do this. So I stayed in college and that's what I did. You're originally from... Connecticut. Connecticut. Okay. And well, this was at the Kansas City Art Institute. Then I went to graduate school at the Rhode Island School of Design. Uh -huh. And is that where you met your husband, Richard? Is It is. That's where mm -hmm. I met him, in the ceramic studio. <laughs> <laughs> Love at first sight, huh? No, actually, we were best friends for quite a long time. Even better. Before we realized we fell in love. Even that's, that. That's, that's the best both. way. Wow. I know. Yeah. Well, Richard is so talented himself, and someday we need to talk to him. But this year, we are featuring your work. Um, so how did you end up in Southwest Virginia? Well, um, my when we were in graduate school, we got married in the middle of graduate school. We were both there at Rhode Island, and we just decided to take a trip to look at sort of land and places away from New England because New England was expensive even then in our minds to be potters. And so we just happened to come here through serendipity. My father knew somebody who knew somebody who had a place in the mountains. And that's what brought us to Floyd actually. And um, it was, I realized today before we got on this, that today is the anniversary of the first day we came to Floyd today. <laughs> and we came on our honeymoon, you know, two days after we got married. And we just discovered it. And then we traveled all around the, the area down all the way to North Carolina and places. And we came back here and said, this was the, the prettiest, the people were the friendliest. And, and somebody offered us to rent us a house for $55 a month. <laughs> Lovely. How many years? They, how many years ago was that? Well, that would have been 47 years ago. Because we didn't move for another year. You know, we were still in school and we just celebrated our 48th wedding anniversary. Wonderful. Well, yeah. for those that don't know Floyd, this is a pretty amazing place, even back then. And it's become more identified as a very hip, cool place to live because it's so beautiful. It's on the Blue Ridge Parkway and we have a lot of artists and musicians here. So you started. You know, you started the move with other people, many, I would say, I, I, I know on my four or five fingers, uh, artists that have moved here, ceramic artists, because of you. Isn't that true? Well, there's a few, yeah. <laughs> yes, well, you're very modest. You're very modest. Well, you have an amazing array of artistic accomplishments. You have fellowships, grants. Can you share with us some of your favorites? Um, well, 
I received my first NEA grant in a letter um, that came that my husband brought to me in the hospital just after I had given birth to my son, Hayden. So that was pretty amazing because I just wasn't thinking about it. I'd applied and I wasn't thinking about it. And I found out that the one of the people on the jury was a former teacher of mine who always said that women would just get pregnant and, and never really make anything of themselves. And so he knew I was pregnant when he was on that jury. And yet he, you know, decided that I was still worthy of having an NEA grant. So that was pretty, you know, pretty wonderful um, event. Um, and I have a funny story about the Virginia Museum grant was that they actually um, gave, it turns out you had to go for an interview in those days after they, the artist juried the work and then you were awarded the grant, then that you had to go for an interview to actually make it official. And I, it was very um, conservative in those days. And so someone said, I better wear stockings, you know? <laughs> I was like, really? So I did, and I went to my interview. And then later I found out they actually gave all the women less money than the men. The grant said it was a certain amount, and yet when they actually did it, the women got less money than the men. So oh that was always the <laughs> Even story with the, of the stockings. Of the time. And yeah, the, stockings, the stockings, which you probably never wore, really. Oh, oh, I, my. oh someone had to lend them to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, you have been through so much. You know, your work, for those of my audience that don't know your work, is is quite unique and wonderful. And I would say it has a very feminine quality. Often, uh, you know, they're figures of women. Can you describe what your philosophy is behind your work and, and what draws you towards the feminine shape? Um, I think that originally it was very, very unconscious. I was just developing forms to be more abstract. I was trying to break away from sort of traditional forms. And so the, the abstract forms I realized, you know, perhaps in retrospect, were getting more and more figurative. And I, I remember the first time I realized that it was quite a while after, maybe the within a year after my mother had died, and she died quite young. And I, you know, it was a big, very sad and uh, tragic event in my life to lose my mother at that point. I was a young mother myself and the beginning of my career. And I look back and I realized that I was trying to get life into the pieces, you know, and I, I could see that I just, they were just getting more and more figurative. And that was the very first reason that they took that on and that I, I became conscious of it. And then later it became more something of trying to create a sense of fullness and, and, and real, real life in the forms, almost bursting with life. And that's why they just actually became figures. I felt, I felt that I needed to recognize that it was not, I didn't want it to be abstract or symbolic anymore. And of course, really very definitively that happened again after the accident that I had that we have, you know, talked about in our lives, but I had a 
a car accident where they did tell me that I shouldn't be alive and that I was very lucky to be alive. And so that that made me really want to uh, celebrate life and celebrate um, the femininity because it's such a symbolic, you know, it's simple, symbolic of life itself. And I've known you for so long and I've watched your work and that accident was life changing, wasn't it? It, it probably for many people could have stopped you in your tracks and said, what the hell am I doing? Excuse me. But uh, Skip will take that out. <laughs> but your work got stronger and it, it, it went, it took a leap from pottery into sculpture where you were creating these forms. So you, you differentiated, you know, f- your, your previous work, although you were doing some of that. Mm-hmm. Um, can you speak about that period where you did make that real change in your work? Um, yes, I can. I think that it was just, it's in a lot of ways, it's almost like a coming of age. You know, it was something that I thought that was my mother made me change a lot and grow up a lot. But that, that, this event, you know, not that many years later, certainly made me see myself, you know, and how I could survive and how I existed in the world and quest, even question whether being an artist was the most important thing a person could do. And ultimately, I thought that is the thing that I do and I do well and so that I can express something that is universal. I mean, I think that's the main thing is, is that it's universal. We all have loss. We all have wonderful things happen and we have sad things happen. And that we all know that very strongly today. (laughs) But um, so, yeah, I think being an artist, it made me really be definitive about that there was that something about being an artist was valuable and that I had a voice and that I could express something that we all feel well about. I, I believe art is healing, and I've spoken about that in the past, and part of the motivation behind Artemis is to create a, a platform for artists to present their work and writers to present their work as well. Um, you know, I, I'm just a big proponent of that and in the way Artemis started was through writing workshops for abused women and I saw amazing transformation of these women when they started taking you know these classes and doing journals so you know there's nothing uh, more important in my world than to create beauty wherever we can see it and you you are very involved in excuse me you're very, uh, what am I trying to say? You, you <laughs> represent uh, someone who does produce beauty. And you, you are such a hard worker. I mean, you go to your studio daily uh, when you're not teaching. I know you were teaching for 15 years, but you, you produce an amazing amount of work. And uh, you, you never have looked back, have you? Oh, no. No, absolutely. It's just so wonderful to have something that draws you like that, you know, that just compels you to to do it. And, you know, it doesn't feel like, you know, now I've been working a long time, so I guess I've made a lot of work. I don't feel like I'm making a lot of work. I just feel like I'm going and I'm I'm making less work now. I mean, just out of a choice and the necessity and 
you know, things like that. And even though teaching was only one day a week, I still felt like now that I'm not teaching this past year, it's changing, but the studio and just going to work, that's, that's just what I do. That feels, you know, am I sad? Am I happy? I mean, a million emotions make me think, I think I'll go to my studio. <laughs> and I, I am amazed, you know, I'm going back to what we were just talking about, that there have been times in my life where I have had people tell me things about what seeing my work or reading about me, you know, what I've said about my work together, what it has meant for them in terms of very personal experience of they were going through something and somehow that that was really reassuring to them or healing for them. It totally amazes me. I don't even almost understand that that really happens because I know I'm doing it for myself, you know, and, and I say that it's for other people, but I'm always totally surprised and touched so deeply when I have heard stories about how it has impacted other people. You have an amazing following and collectors, and I will admit I'm one of them. I have no <laughs> more room. So, I, I have enough, so much, Donna. Like, whatever it is, it is, what it is. <laughs> it's wonderful. Well, for many years you taught at Holland University with your husband Richard, and uh, you all did that for what fifteen years? Is that how long you taught? Sixteen years, I think. Yeah, two thousand four to two thousand twenty. Can you share your philosophy of, of teaching? And also you've apprenticed quite a few people. Yeah, uh, we had apprentices until a few years ago also for about um, almost 20 years. So um, I think that one of the most, there's there's several parts to mentoring or teaching or having apprentices. And and I think it's really important to recognize that there's different parts to it. It isn't just one thing. You know, if you take it in the most basic, you're teaching them how to do something. You know, you're teaching them a technique or, you know, knowledge of, you know, history or something very concrete. And of course, that is really, really important. But I also think that you're teaching them, um, well, you're giving them an inspiration. You have to inspire people whether it's apprentices or students, because we all need that. We need to be inspired. We don't just do things out of mechanism. We do it because we feel something. And so I think setting an example through the history of art, of course, is so inspiring. You see something in a museum or a book and it, it can change your life, just like those pictures that I saw when I was young, that changed my life. Like I'm going to do this. And so you want, you know, you need to do that. And that's the other thing is, is that you need, the third thing is, is that you also, I think very importantly, need to nurture the individuals in some way. And so I feel like the personal part of seeing what each person needs, sometimes you're, you know, the technique or even the inspiration cannot be the most important thing. Somebody just needed a good someone to listen to them and to someone to see them and someone to, you know, appreciate what they're doing, whatever they're doing. So I think there's, it, there's a lot of components to it. And I feel incredibly lucky to have had the wonderful apprentices and students that I had, but it gave more to me than it probably did give to them. I feel like it's enriched my life so much and it's really been a privilege to be a sort of mentor or teacher or someone in the lives of so many young people 
Well, they're fortunate to have had you as a teacher. Uh, up until last year when the pan- <clears throat> excuse me, pandemic hit, you spent a large part of your li- uh, year living in Italy. Uh, you were living your dream. Uh, you and Richard have a house in Italy. In fact, you're a Italian national, correct? A citizen, yeah. Citizen. Dual citizen, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you're living your dream. Can you talk about that? Well, it wasn't always my dream, but it is a dream <laughs> for sure. Um, yeah, it's interesting because when I grew up in uh, my family, I mean, I'm Irish and Italian, but my name was Italian and I'm very Italian as anyone who knows me in most aspects. And so growing up Italian in the post-war was not a romantic notion. You know, we people now think, oh, Italy, it's so wonderful, you know. But um, we people didn't like Italians, and we and I remember being sort of harassed for being Italian when I was young. So it's it's kind of a funny juxtaposition. I sort of appreciate that. Um, I went to France when I was in my mid twenties. First, I had never been to Europe. I, I went to France because my father had fought in France. And I had a very close friend that I kept and I fell in love with France and and I I taught myself how to speak French and it was just fantastic. And then after I got my NEA grant, I said, I have to go to Italy. I'm Italian and all the great Renaissance art, you know, I have to go there. It's the minute I went into Italy, I was only within the borders of Italy for about an hour and a half. And I got out of the car and went into a store and I came out of the store and I told Rick that, um, I was Italian and that I had learned the wrong language. <laughs> so I immediately started studying Italian and I did feel a sense of place that was incredible. You know, you just, that happens to people. I thought these are my people. I, I just feel so at home here. And I always felt like there's a part of me that's kind of over exuberant. I'm over affectionate. I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm Italian. And so I thought, these, oh my God, this is so reassuring. <laughs> so we felt I did fall in love with Italy. And many, many years later, I mean, we ended up uh, buying a house in 2005. Everyone says, I have a villa in Italy. And I laugh because I have a 450 square foot little house in the mountains of not Tuscany, but Liguria, which is the you know, well, it's not as poor as Southern Italy for where my family was from, but it's very modest and it's, but it's, it is a dream. We have made so many wonderful friends there. The sense of being part of a community that what people have accepted us, you know, the way I love the language, I still study it to this day as if it was a treasure. And I try and read in Italian all the time. And the artwork is amazing. There's just something about about being in another culture and be able to immerse yourself. And for me, it's one that I feel very connected to. But it's also the language, the people, the differences, the history, the things that are so different from my life here, even though there are similarities. And so it is we have a teeny little studio that we just make things to give to our neighbors and to put in our garden. I teach there. I've taught there many, many times at an international ceramic school that I love. And it's just really amazing. I mean, we never spend more than two two months at a time so far in our lives, but sometimes that's twice a year. And those years have been lovely, but 
it's really special, a real gift. And you're going this summer, you told me. We are going back. <laughs> yes, traveling again. I finally, know. Finally. And you didn't mention the food and wine. I know. I didn't even mention Gosh, the food and wine. That's like the number one for me. I know. Well, I do love the art. I love everything for, about it. I know. But it is true for so many people. Uh-huh. And the food and wine are great. You know, yeah. there's no question about it. Exactly. Absolutely. They got it going, don't they? Well, um, what are some of your current projects? I know you just retired from Holland's, but you have a symposium, correct? Yes, I still am co-directing. Now I have a co-director, but um, Women Working with Clay is a symposium that I I created um, 10 years ago and um, through the encouragement of Holland's. And it's um, a gathering of people that come together to uh, women, as it turns out, of course, um, do just to, uh, you know, we have guest lectures and demonstrations, and there's always a group of presenters and, and keynote speakers and all kinds of things. And it's really a wonderful event that started out really for me of when I was asked if I would like to create something at Holland's by Nancy Gray, the former president. I, I just was sort of stump, dumbfounded, and then I came up with this idea. I thought, well, they, it could have been anything because there are some co-ed things at Hollins, you know, summer programs or graduate programs. But I said, no, this is a women's college. I am just doing women. I'm going to celebrate the successes that women have had in the ceramics career. And it's just a wonderful sense of temporary community that we create for these three days on the campus. And... And it's it's really been special, but it's also evolved in my own mind and in its form in, in its form because as starting out as a celebration, but in these last 10 years and especially the last five years, I have come to see once again that the brief mention I made of the the sexism, you know, like back in the day. There's a lot of things that still need to be worked on in this culture in terms of real equity for, you know, women, uh, people of color, go on and on and on, you know. And so I feel I do feel that more strongly that a, a sort of a sense of purpose of making this not just a celebration, but a way to, you know, advocate for every single woman and and. Um, so it's special, and now we're working on a, a virtual edition for this coming up June in just a couple of weeks, and that's been a challenge because I am—I uh, was called a luddite thirty or forty years ago before a lot of people even ever heard the term. <laughs> I'm not very technical, and so here I am planning a virtual symposium. But I have help and a team like you, and it's just the ideas and the concepts, and we have a whole interesting series of artists conversations about all these important issues of the day. So I'm excited about that. And then this summer, no, next September, when I get back from Italy, I'm teaching at a school called Anderson Ranch, which is a wonderful, one of these small art schools. It's out in Colorado in um, Snowmass. And that, that's for a couple of weeks. And then in the fall, I'm having, Rick and I are having a show at the Eleanor D. Wilson Museum at Hollands. And yeah. And life goes on. Things are happening again. All of a sudden, you know, just life feels so busy. It's interesting because we did all have a bit of a pause there where it didn't and didn't feel so busy. So and it's, you know, it's looking to our future. All of a sudden it's funny because, you know, you just didn't want to think about the future for a while. You just wanted to deal with it day to day, which is 
you know, I, I do yoga and qigong and meditation and many things that try and help me stay present, but there was nothing like a pandemic to, to make you stay present in, in some good ways and some bad ways, difficult ways. But I, I was just invite, invited recently to have a show and do a workshop two years from now at the Huntington Museum. And I thought, oh, life is actually moving forward, you know? So it's, it's interesting. It's starting and exciting. Up. Yeah. And also you haven't talked about 16 hands. We should tell our audience about that. What is that about? Well, 16 Hands is a group of artists that we started, you know, 20 something years ago um, of local of the ceramic community here um, for having a tour of studios. People come to our studios and people have little showrooms and it's a it's a chance to see the artists in their home and to buy their work. And and I was one of the founding members of it. And it's been going a long time. We've had to do virtually this year, but Hopefully next fall they'll be able to have have their the, have the event again. And it's always uh, twice a year. And Thanksgiving weekend is the weekend in the fall. That hopefully it will be live event and people can come and visit and go on a little tour in the beautiful Floyd area and visit the, the ceramic studios. Oh, it's a very vibrant event. It's so fun. You drive from studio to studio and see the work, see the artist in their studios. And you founded that. Well, Donna, you just are an amazing person. It's been so wonderful knowing you, watching your work. And now you've got uh, your piece on the cover of Artemis. And I will be eventually putting that up on our website for those of you that want to get a sneak preview. We will be releasing Artemis in June. Hopefully it'll be printed. It's been a challenging year, as everyone knows, but we're, we're still standing and we're doing it. We have a wonderful journal coming. I think this might be our best. And certainly yes. with your, your piece on the cover, we're thrilled. And what, what's the name of the piece? Um, I'm very honored to have it on, on the piece. So um, the piece on the cover of the magazine is very sweet of you. And it looks, I'm, it looks humbly, I would say it looks fantastic. <laughs> it does. It's great photography. It was a professional photographer that yeah. took the piece. Well, the, the, lighting's the, pieces great. Has, the pieces had a couple of different titles, actually, you know, I've, it's because there's an Italian version and an English version and translations and things. Uh -huh. But anyway, I think it's appropriate for for this, for what your issue is about. And I, yes. and I think you saw that in it and, and it really, it really honors me because I do think that it's, it's very meaningful for both of us. Yes. I fell in love with it. I want it, but of course I have no more room. <laughs> I have enough of your work and that I'm so glad that you still had that yeah. piece. So, <laughs> you know, it's now on the cover and we'll be featuring that on our journal uh, and our website, artemisjournal.org, uh, I should be putting that up in the next couple of weeks. So thank you, Donna, for joining us. It's been a delight speaking with you today. Thank you so much, Jerry. Best of luck with that. I know it's going to be great. Well, thank you to the audience that has joined us. And uh, we've been talking about the healing power of art. So do something in your life that... You can create some beauty, even if it's just picking flowers and 
making a bouquet or reading a poem, creating a poem. Do something to bring that beauty into your life. And thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Skip Brown, here at Final Track Studios. And until next time, we'll be talking to you. You've been listening to Artemis Speaks. Artemis is a charitable organization now 43 years old and has evolved to be all-inclusive, a journal with essays, poetry, and art. 10% of the journal's sales are donated to a woman's shelter in southwest Virginia. If you're interested in learning more, artemisjournal.org, you can mail us directly P.O. Box 505, Floyd, Virginia, 24091. The closing music and the opening music you're listening to is Jordan Harmon. And the song is Just Slow Down, a very appropriate comment for the times that we're in. If you want to read, you have to slow down. Artemis Speaks, the podcast, is recorded twice monthly at Final Track Studios in Roanoke, Virginia. All rights reserved and is co-produced by Jerry Rogers skip round. He loves so much. Can anybody tell me when it became so cool? We got everybody walking around trying to same thing that everybody else they do and you know oh yes you know you gotta be yourself cause yourself is all you got and all you got is what you need look in the mirror see it clearer the answer staring at you So just slow down in life Because you can't buy back your time And you know you can't lose touch Of those things That you love so much Just slow down if you've got
to, baby. Just slow down if you've got to. Just slow down if you've got to, baby. Just slow down.